Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we work hard to make your MRR like a snowball rolling downhill, gathering strength, size, and unstoppable momentum. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. You know, I think it's fascinating how we humans scramble to get things done before year end, like dental appointments, doctor visits, checkups, you know, health things that we put off for the whole year, and now we want to get them done before insurance deductibles reset or flexible spending accounts restart. You know, some of them are still use it or lose it. Important things to do on a regular basis, but as founders and leaders, often we're really super busy. I mean, we're always busy, right? It's hard to take time away, but if you don't take care of yourself and your health, then none of the rest of that matters. But there's another type of health checkup that we need to do, and that is a corporate financial health checkup. You know, diving into your financial vitals. Just like you can't run a marathon without training, you can't steer your business towards success without a solid grip on your financial health. So it's time to swap the stethoscope for spreadsheets and get a clear picture of where your business stands. Have you ever heard of a company called Sasby? Okay, they changed their name. Maybe you'll know this one. You ever heard of Zoom? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows Zoom, right? Before they became a household name for virtual meetings, they did more than just develop a user-friendly platform. They meticulously managed their financial health efficient capital deployment, prudent expense management, and strategic investments were their regimen for robust growth. They didn't just grow, they scaled intelligently, really smart. They are one of the most capital efficient SaaS companies on the planet. And the cool thing is they did that before it was cool. You know, I always say fundamentals always matter and they've done this all along. They scaled a really, really smart way. So what lessons can we learn from Zoom's financial acumen? Well, here is a three-point fiscal fitness plan. First, we want to review key metrics. And this isn't just about glancing at your profit and loss statement. You know, it's like, uh, hey, do we have any money left over this month? And if I had to say that the other day, it's pretty funny and sort of not funny. But it's about dissecting those financials. Dive deep into metrics like cash flow, customer acquisition cost, lifetime value, net dollar retention, and profit margins. Think of these like your business's blood pressure and cholesterol levels. They're essential indicators that tell if your company is financially fit or maybe it's wheezing while it's going up the stairs. And we all have standards of what normal blood pressure and healthy cholesterol levels are. We know what those are, right? And there are also standards for SaaS companies and standards for your company at your stage of growth. You can check out my interview with Ray Reich and the SaaS Metric Standards Board. Uh, we'll link that in the show notes. It is great data and it's free. And one of those things I still can't believe it's free. I mean, it's it's amazing data and Ray is just a great dude. So check out that episode and go check out the SAS metric standards board. Second is we want to look at budget planning. And here's where you set your financial fitness goals. 
it's more than just sticking to a budget. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It's like budgeting. Oh, I don't want to do that. But this is really about strategic allocation of resources. Change your thinking on that. Strategic allocation of resources. Where can we trim the fat? Where should we invest more? This is like planning your diet and exercise routine. Now, it, it can be something that can feel kind of old at times, but you, you stick to it and you do it over and over and over. And you, sh you do sh you know, shift things around occasionally and, and you keep going and you keep making progress. But it's about balance, not extremes. So ensure that your budget aligns with your growth objectives, but keep enough flexibility for unforeseen opportunities because those do come up, especially in this market, and also challenges because those do come up, especially in this market. And three, we want to strategize for sustainable growth. And this is what we call building a future-proof business. Sustainable growth is the marathon here. It's not a sprint. Assess your funding options, investment plans, and financial cushion. You know, burn, 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 growth at all costs is honestly not the right strategy for most companies. You know, maybe it is for some. I'll give you up maybe, but not for most. Think long term. It's not just about surviving the next quarter, but for kicking sass for the next decade. Now, like a seasoned athlete, know when to push hard and when to pace yourself. There's a time for both of those. And sometimes it's pushing in one area, like maybe sales or customer success, and then slowing down a little bit in depth. Other times, maybe it is full speed ahead in depth, and maybe you know some other things get adjusted for that. But everything can't be pushing 100 miles an hour all the time. None of us have unlimited budgets or time. We have to make smart decisions and allocate those dollars well. So let's get financially fit. It's a great time of year. We're about to come into January, and you're going to see all those fitness commercials. So you'll think back to this episode and go, yep, financially fit on the corporate side. It is time to crunch those numbers like sit-ups and flex the muscle on your financial strategy. The great news is that just like physical workouts, the more you do it, the better you'll get, the faster you'll grow, the faster progress you'll have. And a financially healthy business is like a well-trained athlete. It is ready to take on the challenge ahead and win. And that's what we want for you in your business. Our founder on Tuesday was Adam Robinson, founder and CEO of retention.com. They turn anonymous web visitors into friends. Adam talked about building in public, creating community, and launching a second product specifically for B2B SaaS companies. Very, very cool what they're doing over there. And our expert guest last week was Mark Donegan, virtual CMO. Mark turns visionary products into market leaders. We talked about category design and what's working in marketing now and will in 2024. You know, things have changed a lot in the last year. And Mark has his finger on the pulse of the market. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give him a listen. My guest today is Jason Kruger, president and founder of Signature Analytics. Jason is shaking up the way SaaS leaders run their businesses by highlighting gaps in data and reporting that help all of us business owners face, and also sharing insights on how to improve profitability, increase productivity, and run your company smarter. Welcome someone who delivers financial runway confidence, Jason Kruger. Hey, Jason, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me a little bit about your background in finance. How did you get into finance and accounting and then you know, doing that in the SaaS world? Yeah, that's uh, I guess for me, it sounds interesting. I'm not sure how interesting it is for others, but, um, you know, I, 
I started my career in uh, public accounting. I, I decided to go into accounting and finance uh, in college. Um, I had learned or I was told uh, at the time that, you know, accounting was the foundation of business from the ground up. So if you understand accounting, you understand how a business works um, from the bottom up. Uh, finance is, is typically more of a look from the top down. And then there's other aspects, obviously, of a business from operations, sales, et cetera. But from an accounting perspective, um, I always knew I wanted to go into business. And uh, for me, I, you know, I was always pretty good with numbers and strong analytical skills. And I felt that accounting was a good fit for me at that time. Uh, I can say I did not want to be a you know, career accountant, um, but I wanted to use accounting uh, to gain uh, a really strong knowledge of business from the guts um, on out and uh, leverage that background to enhance my career <clears throat> and uh, gain exposure to different types of companies. So I went into public accounting outside of college, uh, spent a lot of years, most of it with Deloitte, which is one of the big four accounting firms, uh, did that for almost nine or close to 10 years in the financial statement audit function of, of Deloitte. And um, I was a senior manager there. And what I learned a lot, even working with companies that we serviced at Deloitte in the, in the mid-market, is that a lot of these companies deserve better than what they were getting as it relates to their accounting and financial infrastructure. A lot of uh, uh, the companies in the mid-market, uh, they can't either can't afford the top talent and a lot of them are also looking at accounting maybe as a necessary evil, right? right? I got to pay my bills. I got to send my, I got to make sure my invoices go out. I got to collect and I, I got to make sure I file my taxes at the end of the year. And uh, you can get away with that for a while, but as, as soon as you start to grow and scale beyond a certain point, you, what I've found is companies really need that, that financial information and that visibility to make decisions to achieve the goals, <clears throat> excuse me, the goals that they have to continue that growth. And they also start need to start providing and, and leveraging third parties to support that yeah. growth uh, through banking relationships, investor relationships, those types of things. And so I, I left Deloitte and I started Signature Analytics in 2008, so about 15 years ago. And uh, with the idea that we can provide the top talent to that mid-market, small mid-market uh, on a fractional basis. And so it's really about build, building a solution for those companies. Uh, not, we're not a staffing agency. We're not just throwing bodies out there. It's let's understand where you're at now. Let's understand who you have on your team. How can we continue to leverage them? And then how can we, <clears throat> how can we build the right solution? So you're getting visibility in your financials, you're getting timely information, and you can have educated discussions with third parties. And so that's grown. And, and now we're 15 years later, we're about 80 plus employees full-time. Very big on process, training our team on the process. We service our clients effectively. And we service clients all over the country now. Uh, COVID's allowed us to do a lot more remote sure. than we ever had in the past. And um, companies, I think, enjoy that and like that. And uh, they see value in that, too. Without a doubt. <clears throat> I think that's really interesting observation. Just you've you've been with uh, you know one of the the big four and yeah, kind of seeing how that works and being able to bring that to the, the mid market and really service them at a, a much higher level. And I think that that's fantastic. Then you know you're right. A lot of times people do initially think about accounting as a necessary evil, 
But there's a big difference in just bean counting and really strategic advisory around finance. And how do you see those, those right. differing and how has that changed over the last 15 years? Yeah, I think for businesses, business owners in that small mid market, ultimately cash flow is cash is king, right? Yeah. Cash flow is critical. So yeah. they start to realize that first. I think in the early stages, you can kind of manage the business in your head. You can see what cash you have in the bank account, et cetera. As the business grows and there's more moving parts, it gets much, it gets more and more difficult to manage the business, manage cash and understand cash flows in your head and, and without good, good data. And so that tends to be the, the first point where, you know, business owners say, hey, I, I have a cash flow issue or I, I may even show profitability on my income statement or my P&L, but I don't have any cash. And why is yeah. that? Right. And there's a lot of reasons, potential reasons for that. Uh, it might be all hung up in AR. Uh, it might be, you know, going out different directions. If you're a manufacturing company, it might be hung up in inventory. Um, but uh, so that that's the first point. And then they then they start to realize, well, I, you know, now I'm I've I've achieved some level of growth, and you know, I've really, you know, they start to look at the metrics that drive their their industry. So the SaaS, you know, what is you know, what is your, your MRR? What's your AR? What are my churn rates? Um, how do I how do I continue to scale? What um, how should I be looking at this business? What's my overall profitability, my costs associated with, you know, how I drive revenue and my sales and marketing costs and what that means to my business and, and how I can continue to, to grow revenue in my uh, monthly revenue base. And so uh, those come into those those end up coming together as far as okay cash flow, especially in the SaaS industry up front. There's a lot of cash outflow, not a lot of cash inflow. How do I manage that? When do I need to bring investors beyond my friends and family, beyond myself? Um, and having good data and information is critical to evaluate that. So business owners need to start seeing that on a regular basis. And then if they do want to go out and bring in financing. They absolutely need to have rock solid financials that will allow them to tell the story the right way, will allow them to get the valuation that they're looking to get, or at least tell the story as to why they feel they need they deserve a certain valuation with investors um, and have more control versus giving all that control over to, you know, an investor that is going to create their own story based on the sophistication level that they may perceive in in the business. So how do we tell that story right? I and mean, what do you mean by rock solid financials? How do we know if we have them or if, if they need some work? Yeah, I think at a basic level, I feel that companies need a solid process to close the books on a monthly basis and give them consistent, we call it art, accurate, reliable, or accurate, relevant, and timely financial information. So at a minimum, we want to close the books monthly and we want to get reporting on that. At its basic level, you have the balance sheet and the P&L, but we want to dig a little bit deeper. We don't want to just hit print out of QuickBooks or whatever accounting system we're using. Um, we, want to, we want to make sure that uh, we summarize the information in a way that is actionable. We want to make sure we understand the variances from month to month and the trends from month to month and what's happening in our business. We want to understand the trends that we anticipate as we look forward in the business. So it's not just numbers. There's an anal, uh, there's analysis that goes along with that. 
um, to really uh, to really understand the depths of your business and where you're going. That helps then to tell the story to third party as well. If you want to go, you know, talk to a bank, you want to talk to an investor, you have that story there. You can talk, you can tell that, you can provide that information to them. So it starts with that monthly financials. From there, once you have a good process to to produce monthly financials and you're getting those timely, uh, you can start to dig in on a on a more frequent basis. So maybe I need weekly flash reports in some capacity. Maybe I have certain metrics I look at daily or weekly. Um, Cash flow is critical. So we're looking at cash. At a minimum, we want to look at cash flow monthly and project out over the next number of months. But, uh, you know, best stand, best practice is might be weekly. Um, there's, a, you know, a 13 week cash flow is a, is a, is a big, uh, is a, uh, is, is standard in the industry because that gives you a, a full three quarters. I'm sorry, 13 weeks. Uh, yeah, it gives you a full, uh, quarter of right. information um one quarter of information so um and then you continuously update that so that's that's what i'm really what we're really talking about is rock solid financials isn't just printing hitting print from your financials <clears throat> it's really understanding how the metrics of your business what's happening with your business how that impacts the financials and how i make decisions on that as you as you look forward in your business yeah that makes a lot of sense have you experienced, you know, companies that are going to market, whether it's a raise or it's an exit and, you know, having solid financials, as you say, you know, rock solid financials and telling the story right, does that affect valuation you know, in a positive or, or negative way? Absolutely. What are you seeing? Yeah. Yeah, I see it all the time. If if you're going out, what, what I see is a company, if a company is going out to market and they don't have... uh solid financial information um, or they're not able to present it in a solid manner, immediately the buyer will think or will know that the, the seller is less sophisticated. Um, the seller then can also start to make their own assumptions on what might be happening with the business. If they start to see errors in the accounting or errors in the information, that creates more risk in their mind on the investment they're going to make. So in essence, to devalue that risk, they'll devalue the, the company. If you have a, an L, you may have an LOI for $10 million, but after some due diligence, after some uncertainty in what they're getting into, they may say, hey, you know what? We, we don't have a lot of confidence in this area because we don't have a lot of confidence in how the accounting is being done. So we are going to reduce the purchase price because you know, this became a riskier investment for us because we don't have that confidence. So, so there's there's two pieces. One is good financials create or lack of good financials creates lack of credibility um, and reduces the valuation. And even if the the financials are accurate, if they're not presented in a manner in that is gives that gives that individual credibility. The seller wants to be able to tell their own story with the financials. They don't want the buyer to create their own story that may or may not be accurate as to why they feel evaluation might be a certain way. So the, the solid financial information in, a, in the right format that looks professional gives the seller significant power going into conversations with the buyer. Yeah. What metrics do you think are the most important today 
uh, you know, not only for internal management, but for acquisition, raising. I, I think all of those are probably interrelated. And you correct me if I'm wrong. But so yep. what metrics do you see is, is most critical or the things that, that most companies need to pay attention to? And maybe they don't. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, for, for valuation purposes, no, you know, the industry, each industry is typically valued, can be valued in a different way. So a non-SaaS related, I know, you know, SaaS is more of our topic here, but non-SaaS related, they might be, uh, we look at it as multiples. Right. <clears throat> we look at it as a multiple of, of EBITDA, which is net income. You back out a few things like depreciation, you get a final number. And then you multiply that times four, and that might be your valuation. Or you multiply that times eight, and that might be your valuation. Or 10, depending sure. on the industry. A lot of industries will have, now SaaS tends to be a multiple of, of revenue, which is fantastic. Right. Uh, you get higher multiples in SaaS, right? Because it's very, very appealing. Um, a lot of times, SaaS though, what I've seen is it's, uh, the valuations tend to be market driven based on, or economy, economy driven. Hey, where are we in the economy? Is it hot right now? Is it not? That can impact it. So timing can be very important. I'm sure as you know, uh, this year versus last year, you know, multiples have come down or up, you know, whatever they may be. Um, so that's critical, <clears throat> but traditionally you'll, you'll get a range. And so in SAS, I might say, Hey, our multiples might be between X and Y of revenue. Let's just say eight to 10 times revenue. I'm just throwing sure. numbers out there. Well, if I'm a business, I want to sell for 10 or 11. I don't want to sell for right. seven or eight, right? So how do I understand or how do I get, how do I maximize my valuation um, and get it up to the 10 versus down at eight? And that's a significant, that could be significant dollars, right? And a lot of that comes down to sophistication, um, understanding what drives value in your market, client concentration, concentration on owner, uh, those types of things are big. If you have if you have 90% of your revenue on one client, on one client contract, your valuation is going to be on the lower right. end. So how do we diversify, right? Um, if uh, all of the brains and the power and everything associated with the company is in the mind of the owner and the owner leaves and there's a lot of risk for a buyer, they're going to discount the company. Um, so we want to understand what drives valuation. Um, there's certain metrics along the way in SaaS, as we've talked about, churn rates is critical. Um, you know, building that base of recurring revenue is critical. Um, how do you scale? Uh, are you? Is it? I you know where uh, multi-location or or you know, are you all are you isolated in in one specific small industry, or are you or is it is your is your uh, software able uh, to um, uh, be used across industries or across very large industries so that you have much larger capability to scale and grow beyond where you're at right now? Um, if you hold 90% of the industry, um, if you hold 90% of your uh, total revenue base of your industry, while well, there's not a lot of room to grow. But if you're a very small portion and somebody else can come in and has the relationships that can grow substantially, that's that's important as well. Um, so I think 
understanding your industry, understanding what the multiples are, and understanding then how I achieve the greater multiple versus the lower. And, I, and what I've experienced is having solid financials, being able to understand and measure those, uh, those metrics that drive valuation will over time you can achieve that higher multiple versus being stuck with that lower multiple oh that's that's right on point and making sure that you're paying attention to, to those things and the concentration um, you know fall into the owner's trap mm-hmm. and that that happens far too often and right but having and that's about scalability yeah. and and uh you know building that infrastructure to support a company beyond the owner yes. right what about for internal management? What types of metrics should we be paying attention to in our SaaS companies uh, internally to make sure that we're on track? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm speaking more towards once we have a product yes. that we're putting in place. Before that, um, it's it's all expense, yeah. right? It's expense management, it's cash management, um, and and we're building that product and that that uh, technology. Once we have that in place, um, we need to understand the metrics. Then, then we start to incur costs around sales and marketing, um, and we start to generate, hopefully we start to generate revenue. So the first thing that we want to make sure that we understand is uh, what is our go-to-market plan? Um, what, level of co- what level of investment in sales and marketing will produce, you know, the returns we want on uh, on the revenue side to drive revenue growth and uh, growth in new clients. Um, I've seen, uh, unfortunately, I've seen a couple of times where um, the investment in sales and marketing had to be so great that it was greater than they could make sense of on the revenue side. So then you have a, then you have an issue, right? You have an issue of, okay, I have a great product, but how do I get right. it to market effectively and more efficiently? Um, and so, so the metrics around understanding, it'd be great to understand, okay, and, and, and forecast or budget this out and really run through it in detail before we just jump in and just start trying to sell our product. Let's, let's make sure we have a sales and marketing plan on how we're going to go to market, what our costs are going to be and what our expectations are going to be. Once we, have that plan, we can measure the results and see how we're doing. One of the best ways to build a healthy business is alongside others. If you'd like to mastermind with and build alongside a group of exceptionally smart B2B SaaS founders, check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. Supercharge revenue by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight figures and more to exceptional valuation and exit. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we up-level ourselves, our teams, and have some fun along the way. Confidently take that right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. If we if we start if our revenue growth uh, is achieving the results based on the plan that we set and the expenses we've incurred in sales and marketing, that's great. And we start talking about how we can even improve upon that. If it's not, what changes and adjustments do we need to make? 
we have to have that information so we can make adjustments on a continuous mm-hmm. basis and we don't go six to 12 months and then realize later, oh, well, we don't have the revenue we thought we were going to have and now we're out of money, right? So that's one. From a, from a SaaS perspective then too, as you start to, you know, we, we definitely want to be tracking our internal metrics about uh, monthly recurring revenue. Churn rate is critical. Uh, SaaS companies, you know, want to be in the high, you know, mid to high 90s as far as renewal yep. rates um, are critical. Uh, if you're in the 70s and 80s, that's definitely will reduce your uh, valuation. Um, those are the critical ones, you know, from the start is how can I uh, maintain the churn rates I have? What are my sales and marketing costs? How do I invest to ensure the revenue growth that I'm looking for? How do I measure against that? Um, and what's my focus? A lot of SaaS companies might be doing some on the side, some uh, service-based, you know, driving some service-based revenue uh, to, to drive in more cash. A lot of times that might be discounted as it relates to evaluation. So the company needs to decide, do we want to, do, do we want to keep doing this because it helps generate cash? Um, even though we don't, we know it may not add value to our company. Um, or maybe there's a reason we do it because we can generate recurring revenue right. out of it somehow. So, you know, there's something to be discussed about that is, you know, do we just focus on driving the recurring revenue or do we focus on the other areas that we might be able to drive, drive some revenue as well? Well, you mentioned forecasting, and you've seen a lot of a lot of forecasts over the years and projections, and uh, you know it could be revenue projections of you know I'm going to hire a sales rep and they're going to produce this, and I'm going to hire another one, and it's very linear, uh, or you know even forecast mm-hmm. of you know deals that are in the pipeline and we're going to close this many, and and a lot of it just seems like you know magic. You know, is it is it really going to happen? Who knows, but we're going to put right. this out there and this is the right. forecast. This is our projection. How do we make those more accurate and yeah. where do those go wrong? Yeah. So, I tell you that one of the biggest sins is uh when forecasting or budgeting and saying, "Well, we've done we did 10% last year, so we should be able to do 15% <laughs> right. this year." Um or 10% this year or 10% every year, right? Um I can tell you that you know that's a that's a it's not a very effective way to budget um, because there's no underlying data that proves that out, right? And with a recurring business model, even though churn rates are low, the more you grow, the more you're gonna churn. So you have to actually bring in more business, uh, even though your churn rate churn rate may stay the same. You're going to have to continuously bring in more business than you did brought in last year to achieve right. the same growth uh, pattern. Um, and so that's where it kind of gets back to, you know, why I started accounting, right? The started from the ground up, the guts of, of, of a business. And so when we build out, that's part of also that sales and marketing plan that we discussed. If we're talking about budgeting out and forecasting out, we don't want to just make assumptions at the top level. We want to dive into the guts of it and understand if I do this, how will this impact over here and how will this drive results over here? So you may have a sales team and you, you know, sales team, instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to hire a sales guy. He's going to go sell my product. Well, that's, that's where you start saying, okay, I'm going to hire a sales team or sales individuals. I want to understand the actions and, and what they're going to be, what, what daily activities they're going to be doing. What are those daily activities going to produce? And how can I then extrapolate that into results over a period of time 
how can I then measure that performance against the team that I hired? Yeah. Right. So it gets down to managing the sales team, understanding the daily activities, how the daily activities produce results um, over time and how that extrapolates on a month over month basis. What I've seen sometimes is they may, companies may think, well, we'll achieve 10% growth with the same team. And, and they realize that, you know, you, you start to dig into the details and you realize that's not even feasible with the team they have or in the investment they've made. Um, and so digging into that detail. And that's where it's important to have, you know, when you start building out a budget or a forecast, you start building that out. The sales and marketing part is one of the most critical areas because you can start to see how the math works on individual by individual level from a sales team on what to expect um, based on what we've seen in the past that then helps us make decisions on if we need to hire additional individuals and then from a marketing perspective what have we seen last year what worked what didn't what areas should we be focusing on how much should we be incurring in our marketing costs uh, to produce the desired results and so you start to build that from the ground up, and then that ultimately produces what your projected revenue will be. And then you say, okay, does this look good? Does it not? Why not? Or, or yes. And if you don't like the result, then you got to start digging back further. Well, maybe we need to hire an additional person, or maybe we need to do X, Y, Z. So I believe in building it from the ground up produces the ultimate results. But if you just throw a target and say, we did 10 million this year, we're going to do 12 million next year, um, then you're just, then you're just yeah. guessing. It's really making it or hoping. or hoping. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's really important. So just because you don't like the answer at the end doesn't mean you go back and adjust the numbers to get to the answer you like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I've seen a lot of that as well. Way too much. Oh, we can't have that revenue. We need to change that. Okay, well... <laughs> That's what it's probably going to be. So we can't just change the revenue. Let's go into the details. Let's understand why. And let's understand you know, what, what our assumptions are that are driving this revenue number. And let's validate those again. Let's see if we can make some tweaks to, to improve the revenues we're looking for. And then you start to have a plan you can execute against. And you can start holding people accountable to as far as achieving those results. And that's the purpose of a budget. That's the purpose of a forecast is not to just do a forecast or a budget and put it in the drawer and then look at it again next year. It's how did we do against the budget? Why are we exceeding it? Why are we achieving it? Why are we not achieving the budget? Let's dig into our assumptions of what we thought, what's happening, what can we continue to tweak so we can achieve the budget next month. Yeah. And there's a lot of power in that. And that's where you want, you have to have that good financial information to, 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 to really um, make those decisions. Yeah. So what would be something that uh, you see that a, a lot of companies, maybe a mistake that they make in uh, maybe revenue recognition, or that's a big topic, or cost of goods sold? You know, mm -hmm. where, where are you seeing companies make mistakes that, uh, that cost them later, things that you have to go back and fix? Yeah, revenue recognition is, a tricky, is tricky for SaaS companies. Um, and, and the reality is at, a, at an earlier stage, you know, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of cost, accounting cost, that the company doesn't see a lot of value in, in, in getting 
in, in getting the company in a position to recognize revenue effectively. Um, so sometimes it comes down to timing, yeah. right? Um, but it's important to understand, okay, yeah, we are going to have to go through this exercise at some point. Right now, we're not there yet, but maybe ne next year at this time, we will have to go through that exercise. Um, I, you know, we, we're working with a company right now where it's been a challenge because they, they went, this exercise, they, they waited too long. And now they're bringing in significant investor, um, you know, I think it's close to 30, 40 million dollar investor um, uh, funds. And they're still we're working with them to try to backtrack several years to go through and understand revenue recognition and how revenue should be recognized. Um, in software, there's you it starts to get broken out into different or SaaS, it starts to get broken out into different components. You have, and then depending on the product or offering, there may be different components as well. Some companies may have a software and a hardware component. Some company, most companies have a software component and then a maintenance component, ongoing maintenance contract component. Those have to be evaluated for revenue recognition purposes and it's not as simple as as recognizing it based on what the contract states. Sometimes the, the, the because those contracts can be manipulated yeah. um, one way or the other. So you actually have to break them out. You have to understand different aspects of the, of the contract, what the, the, you know, what the, the purpose of the contract really is. And you have to start breaking that out. That could be a very expensive exercise. Um, what I will actually recommend, and, and this is where it was a challenge before is, or with this, with this other company we've been working with is that they didn't have consistency in their contracts uh, amongst uh, different clients. Wow. And so their sales team was, had, uh, the ability to make adjustments to the contracts to get the sale. Well, that means that it's very difficult. Now we have to go through each individual contract and account for revenue differently on a contract by contract right. basis. When you have thousands of contracts, that can create an issue and can, can significantly impact the ability to recognize revenue appropriately for the company as a whole. And it can also create a significant issue to get an audit, audited financial information that may be needed to either sell the company or to uh, bring on equity investors as well. That's the challenge that I've seen quite a bit um, is that companies, they don't have consistency in their contracts, they're not able to recognize revenue effectively, and they're not able to then get that equity financing that they want as they move forward. So I guess the, the moral of the story is create consistency in your contracts. Don't give your sales team free reign, even though they may want to. Um, and start earlier rather than later on, on understanding how you're going to recognize revenue. So you have a process in place to do that, but there is a cost benefit to that, uh, because it is, can be costly exercise from an accounting perspective. So you don't necessarily need to start day one, but definitely earlier, the better. Yeah. What about the uh, cost of goods sold? You know, what should go in, what shouldn't, where do people make a mistake in either not putting the right things in there or leaving things out that should go in there? Yeah. Um, the the beauty of a, a SaaS business um, 
is that the cost of goods sold is traditionally pretty low, right? So you have high margins in a SaaS-based um, a SaaS-based right. business. So um, the as a, a business like ours, you know, there's a lot of people costs. Like we're producing the revenue. Um, uh, you know, we we bill out at one rate, we pay our people another rate, and and our margins aren't right. as great as a SaaS. Um, um, the core um, costs associated with driving that are typically seen in cost of goods sale are hosting costs. So um, hosting costs are, you know, can be, depending on the, your product, can be uh, pretty big. Um, you have employee costs related to keeping the production environment running. So um, the development team, internal engineering, you know, whatever that might be. Um, customer support uh, costs um, are in there, but um, account management is typically not, but I would say more like customer support. Um, if you use another third-party uh, software as part of your software, um, that could be part of it. Um, and, you know, those are, those are the key components of cost of goods okay. sold. Um, in a SaaS type business. What makes an efficient accounting process? Yeah. How do we know if what we have is working well today or if, if it needs some changes? Yeah, I think, so from the top level, if I'm a, if I'm a business owner, uh, if I'm getting good financial information I can trust, that's timely and on a monthly basis, you know, that's a, a sign that I'm getting good, inf that I'm getting, there's good processes in place. Um, if I'm not getting good if I'm not getting timely financials, if it's coming at all different types of the times of the month or a month or two or three months late, then I don't have good processes. Um, there should be a standard process every month to close the books that should be documented and followed by the team so that everybody knows what's being done um, and what the end result is. The end result to the business to management should be the financials, um, but there needs to be steps, there needs to be supporting schedules along the way to get to those final numbers. If management has a question about certain numbers, there should be supporting schedules that can be pulled up immediately or by the team to provide to management to show them the detail of what makes up that number. So, <clears throat> you know, good processes will produce and make sure or ensure that you have good supporting information for all balances on your balance sheet um, and also detail of what's in the income statement. Um, and there's got to be a process and, and obviously hopefully documented. There are tools that uh, can be used. We use Asana, which is a project management tool um, for our clients to drive that monthly close process, to assign responsibilities, to make sure that um, there's the appropriate oversight and review in place. Um, that's another thing. If sometimes a lot of companies might just have one individual, um, there's lack of oversight and review, even a great uh, individual humans make mistakes that can happen. Um, so there, there really should be some level sure. of oversight and review in, in place to ensure the quality is there and the QAQC is there. Um, but really needs to be documented, needs to be structured um, on a monthly basis in a file, supporting documentation that supports everything that's that's in the reporting and the financial information that's presented to management. So certainly having separation of responsibilities, having that oversight, you know, one of the reasons is we want to prevent fraud. 
prevent some mistakes, those kinds of things. I mean, if, if we see something in there that, that doesn't look right, I mean, how do we how do we see it? How do we prevent fraud? And you know, how do we find things like that? I mean, you, you started in audit, yeah. so I'm sure you saw you know quite a few examples of of things that they could have been done differently or prevented problems. Yeah, uh, this is a plug for our company, I guess. You know, we're a big, uh, you know, bringing us in is a is a is a big segregation of duties, obviously, and um, allows companies to sure. trust that there is no fraud or you know stuff going on. Um, but what I see is, is, you know, outside of that, what I see is um, if you have if a company has one individual that has full control over everything in accounting, there's that's a that can be a significant risk. Um, even if the comp- the individual might be, sometimes they're even a family member or or a close friend or somebody that you feel that you trust. We've, I've seen situations yeah. where those individuals take advantage of their the power that they have, um, especially if they have uh, control over payroll and they're the only person that's processing or has control and can make every changes in payroll. Um, especially uh, you know if they're cutting checks and have the ability to do that. Um, if they're producing financial, you know, if, if they're doing everything, that's a, that's a very, that's a significant risk. Um, if the business owner or management, somebody on the team has a financial background and can provide that secondary support or oversight, uh, if you're a very small company, that would be highly preferred. Um, otherwise, I would recommend bringing in, even if it's an outside individual, to come in and provide that oversight on a few hours a month basis just to, uh, and to provide some levels of approval. That's important. Um, I've seen situations where, you know, individual has full control over payroll. The first thing they did is increase their own salary. Nobody knew, right? Uh, they start to take advantage of expense reimbursements and how that process is run through payroll. All of a sudden, they're getting expense reimbursements and they're paying themselves through expense reimbursements on expenses that they never really incurred. Uh, they have ability to, you know, to, to, to put those in the accounts that they want to put it in. Um, and if you don't have a sophisticated management team that really understands financials or is even getting financials, they would really never even know what was happening because it all comes out through payroll. You don't see it separately. Um, so there's a lot of things that can be done, um, unfortunately, at that level if if one person has full ownership and control. Yeah. So if you, if you could rewrite, say, one accounting rule, uh, which one would it be <laughs> and uh, and why? <laughs> yeah, um, I feel sometimes, you know, what we do, what I, so we want, our our goal is to make sure that we're providing value to our business, our clients at a cost point that makes sense. Not every company has to be on gap-based financials from day one. Now, a lot of accountants will tell you otherwise. There's no, there's no law that you have to be on gap-based financials. Uh, companies file on a tax, their tax basis might, they might file on accrual, which is gap, um, or cash basis. Um, and so, if you're filing on a tax basis and you do your, your accounting on tax, or I'm sorry, if you're filing your taxes on a cash basis and you're doing your accounting on a cash basis, um, you're fine. You're not breaking any rules. You're probably not getting as good and solid financial information you can make decisions on uh, because you're not able to effectively see the trends and what's happening of the business, but you're not breaking any rules. So I, I'm not sure it's saying that I would change anything from an accounting perspective, 
But I think it's important for business owners, for other accountants out there in the, you know, in the world uh, to understand where a company might be at a certain point in time and what they truly need now versus what they might need later. An example I talked about before was revenue recognition. A small company can't afford to incur, you know, a $50,000 bill to make sure their revenue recognition is correct when they're only doing $50,000 a year in revenue, right? I mean, sometimes right. it's a very costly exercise. Same thing with accounting around equity uh, transactions. A lot of companies might have convertible debt. They might start throwing around convertible debt with warrants. Attorneys like to make it as complex as possible for the accountants, right? And so when you start having yeah. convertible debt or you start having uh, you know, different types of equity transactions, that creates significant work from an, from an accounting perspective to ensure that it's in accordance with GAAP. The company, however, won't see value in that uh, until they need to provide their financial information to a third party until they're audited, uh, until they might be reviewed. Um, and so the timing of that is important to understand. We want the company to understand, hey, we're going to have to account for this in accordance with GAAP. It's an accounting exercise that's going to have to be done in the future. But we don't need to do it today. Maybe we revisit it next year um, as it relates to revenue, equity transactions. So. I think it's important to really understand, take the mindset of the, the business owner, the entrepreneur, and say, where are they in their business right now? What are they trying to achieve and accomplish? Yes, we understand GAAP. Yes, we know that at some point you may have to account for these transactions differently, but you don't need to now. Um, there's no law that's telling you you need to right now. Um, but let's know that we have to do that at some point, and let's evaluate when that time is right. And when it is, then we'll make sure that we get it done. Um, so I, I'd say that, you know, that's what we try to, to teach and, and communicate to our team is get, let's get in the mind of the business owner and the entrepreneur, and let's make sure that they're getting the value out of accounting that, that they deserve and maximize that versus just create accounting exercises that they don't see value in. Oh, very good. So if you're going to give one piece of advice to founders around accounting finance, what would that be? Yeah, I would say this um, about not only even accounting and finance, but all areas of your business. I'd say know your business, right? So um, as businesses, owners grow and scale, sometimes they think, well, great, um, I've gotten to a certain point. Now I'll hire, hire a sales guy and that's it, or a woman or a man, and they'll go sell my product and I don't have to worry about what they're doing because they'll sell. And I'll just go hire a CFO or I hire a controller and they'll do that and I don't have to understand it or know about it and they'll be fine. Uh, what I find is that turns into trouble more often than not because there's no, nobody knows your business better than you as a business owner. Um, there's no oversight or control. Yeah. There's, no, there's no measurement of success as it relates to you know, the sales individual you just hired. So my recommendation would be to really educate yourself and know all aspects of your business. Uh, I'm not, my background is not in sales and marketing, but I've taken a deep dive over the years to make sure I really understand, you know, what we're trying to accomplish through our marketing efforts, what we're trying to accomplish through our sales efforts, 
how those metrics work, how they ultimately, as we talked about before, you know, achieve the desired results we want from a revenue perspective. Um, if I just hired a sales team and said, go at it, I, we'd probably be out of business by now, right? We'd be incurring all these costs and I wouldn't have any control or understanding why it was working or wasn't working. So I'd say really, you don't have to be an expert on debits and credits, but you know, start to educate yourself on financials, start to educate yourself on the balance sheet. The balance sheet is very scary to a lot of business owners. So start to educate yourself on that and, yeah. and the importance of the balance sheet. And the balance sheet is really what tells you what your cash flow is or was. Uh, if you understand the balance sheet, you understand, you'll start to understand cash flow a little bit better um, and what your expectations for future cash flow might be. Um, so start to really, you yeah. know, dig into your business, know all aspects of your business, hire the experts that can do, that can play the right roles, but make sure you understand enough so that you can continue to manage them effectively. Um, and they're not just managing themselves. Very good. Well, where can we learn more about you and about Signature Analytics online? Yeah, so our website, pretty easy, signatureanalytics.com. Uh, pretty straightforward. You can reach out through that. Uh, I'm always happy if someone wants to email me directly, the letter J, Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R, at signatureanalytics.com. Those are probably the easiest. I've be reached on LinkedIn, um, always uh, involved with LinkedIn quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I just like to talk to business owners. Um, if I can help, that's great. Um, if I can't, I usually know someone that can um, and be happy to make a, a, an introduction to somebody that can. Outstanding. And we'll make sure and link all of those in the show notes. Perfect. Jason, great conversation. Thanks for hanging out on Task Fuel. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks again, Jason, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Yeah, I think finance is one of those topics that a lot of founders either want to avoid or they don't get or just kind of takes a back burner. And honestly, learning about it can be a real snoozer. So I really appreciate people like Jason who can keep it lively, engaging, and most important, approachable. You can learn more about Jason at SignatureAnalytics.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com, including that link to the SAS Metric Standards Board. So be sure and check that out. Remember, the data is free. And bounce over to our YouTube channel as well. Full episodes, shorts, training, outtakes, and more. And what I would love for you to do this week, help a friend out and share the podcast with someone else in SAS. One, they'll thank you because it's great content every single week. And they'll also think you're super smart because you have the inside track. You know about this and, and they don't. So, you know, my team and I really do appreciate the when you share as well. And everyone who subscribes or shares this week gets an expense shrink rate pointed at any purchase in your budget to see what it costs you if you made smarter choices. You know, coffee out becomes coffee in and poof. Watch those little expenses shrink. Join us next Tuesday where our founder is Alex Boyd, founder of Aware and Revenues End. From a winding road of marketing and sales and social media, Alex now helps SaaS leaders carve a straightforward path to marketing assets and genuine relationships that pay huge dividends. And next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have AJ Wilcox from B2 Linked. AJ demystifies LinkedIn ads, which I'll tell you has been a mystery for me for a long time before I met AJ. And he'll tell you how you can use that as a starting point to be everywhere. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. 
Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!